0: Chapter 38 Part 2 of The Children of the Abbey This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Harvey The Children of the Abbey by Regina Maria Roche Chapter 38 Part 2 We had the happiness to find all the family at home when we reached the villa, the Ladies all expressed themselves delighted at my unexpected appearance and quite charmed by my recovered looks, The Marquis, with his usual saying Floyd, declared himself glad to see me. Ye smiling deceivers, I cried to myself as I surveyed the Marchioness and Lady Euphrasia. Your triumph over innocence and beauty will soon be over. After passing half an hour in uninteresting chit-chat, I took the opportunity of one of those pauses in conversation, which so frequently happen, to commence my attack. It would be as painful to you as to me to recapitulate all which ensued in consequence of it. Rage, guilt, and confusion were conspicuous in the Marchioness and Lady Euphrasia, The Marquis and Lady Greystock looked with astonishment, and my father seemed overwhelmed with surprise and consternation. I said, addressing the Marchioness, I now trusted the resentment her ladyship had entertained against her unoffending niece was sufficiently appeased by what she had made her suffer, and that she would rather rejoice than regret the opportunity which presented itself of vindicating her fame. I wished, I said, as much as possible, to spare her ladyship's feelings, and provided she would clear Miss from the obliquy which the transactions in her house cast upon her. I was willing to conceal the share her ladyship had in them. In a voice of smothered rage, and with a look "'into which she threw as much contempt as possible,' she replied. "'She thanked me for the attention I professed myself inclined to pay her feelings. "'But she fancied I had overlooked all inclination of this kind "'when I undertook to bribe her servants to asperse her character, "'that Miss Fitzsallens might be cleared. "'She was sorry,' she said, "'to find I could be capable,' of such complicated baseness and weakness. Miss Fitzallen, she perceived, had made me her dupe again. But this was not surprising, as she was the professed pupil of art. Too late I should behold her in her native colors, and find the disgrace which, by artifice, I now attempted to remove from her character, thrown back upon her, perhaps, to overwhelm me also by its weight." She has infatuated him, said Lord Cherbury. She will be the bane of his life, the destruction of my hopes. Not Miss Fitzsallen, cried I, assuming as much coolness as possible, though, like the Marchioness, I found it a difficult task. Not Miss Fitzsallen, but the enemies of Miss Fitzsallen deceived me. I own I was the dupe of the scheme contrived against her. Anything so horrid, so monstrous, so exorable, I did not think could have entered into the minds of those who were bound by the united ties of kindred and hospitality to protect her. And I rather believed I owed my misery to the frailty than to the turpitude of human nature. You see, my lord, exclaimed the marchioness, turning to Lord Cherbury, Lord Mortimer acknowledges his passion for this wretched girl. I do, cried I. I glory in confessing it, in loving Miss Fitzallen. I love virtue itself. In acknowledging a passion for her, I violate no faith. I break no engagement. My heart ever resisted entering into any which it could not fulfill. Unfortunate prepossession said Lord Cherbury sternly. But why, why, when you believed her guilty, were you so infatuated as to follow her to Ireland? Why not calmly resign her to the infamy she merited? I followed her, my lord, I replied, in hope to withdraw her from her seducer's arms and place her in her father's. I hoped, I trusted, I should be able also to alleviate the bitter destiny of poor Fitzalan, Alas, not in the arms of a gay, successful seducer, but apparently in the arms of death did I find Amanda. I saw her at the solemn hour which consigned her parent to his grave, and to have doubted her protestations of innocence then would have been almost impious. Gracious heaven, how impossible to disbelieve her truth at the very moment her gentle spirit seemed about to take its flight to heaven. From that period she has stood acquitted in my mind, and from that period I determined to develop to the utmost of my power the machinations which had made me doubt her innocence. My success in their development has been beyond my expectations, but providence is on the side of suffering virtue, and assists those who stand up in its support. Contrary to my first intention, my dear Amanda, I have given you a sketch of part of our conversation. For the remainder, it shall suffice to say that the Marchioness persevered in declaring I had bribed her servants to blacken her character, in order to clear Miss Fitzsallens, an attempt she repeatedly assured me, I would find unsuccessful. The Marquis talked in high terms of the dignity of his house, and how impossible it was the Marchioness should ever have disgraced it by such actions as I accused her of committing. I answered him in a manner equally warm, that my accusations were too well-grounded and supported to dread refutation." that it was not only due to injured innocence but essential to my own honor, which would soon be materially concerned in whatever related to Miss Fitzallan to have those accusations made public if her ladyship refused to contradict the aspersions which might be thrown upon Miss Fitzsullen in consequence of the scene which passed at his lordship's house. This, the Marchioness, with mingled rage and contempt, refused doing. And Lady Ephrasia, after the hint I gave of soon being united to you, left the room in convulsive agitation. Lord Cherbury, I perceived, suspected foul play, by some speeches which dropped from him, such as, if there had been any misunderstanding between her ladyship and Miss Fitzallen. It was better surely to have it done away, or certainly if any mistake was proved relative to the affair which happened in her ladyship's house, it was but justice to the young lady to have it cleared up. Yet, notwithstanding the interest he felt in the cause of suffering innocence, it was obvious to me that he dreaded a rupture with the marquis's family, and appeared shocked at the unequivocal declaration I had made of never being allied to it. Lady Martha Dormer took up the cause. The testimony Lord Mortimer had received, she said, of Miss Fitzallen's innocence was incontrovertible, and exempted him alike from being stigmatized, either as the dupe of art or love. Humanity, she was convinced, exclusive of every warmer feeling, would have influenced him to have undertaken Miss Fitzsalin's cause. It was the cause of innocence and virtue, a cause in which every detester of scandal and treachery should join, since not only the defenseless orphan, but the protected child of rank and prosperity, was vulnerable to their shafts. I again repeated the evidence of her servants, and the refutation of Mrs. Jennings to her former story. I produced, to strengthen it, the unopened letters of Colonel Belgrave, thus continuing to put proof upon proof of your innocence, as Sancho Panza says upon the shoulders of demonstration. The passions of the Marchioness rose at last to frantic violence. She persisted in alleging her integrity and vilifying yours, but with a countenance so legibly impressed with guilt and confusion that a doubt of her falsehood could not be entertained even by those who wished to doubt it. The scene of violence we now became witness to was painful to me and shocking to Lady Martha. I therefore ordered the horses immediately to her ladyship's chariot, in which, accompanied by me, she had proceeded Lord Cherbury's coach, from the idea that our continuance at the villa might not be quite so long as his lordship's. As we expected, his lordship stayed behind. With the hope I perceived of being able to calm the perturbations of the marchioness, and lessen the breach between us, he returned the next day to town. I have so long dwelt upon disagreeable scenes that to go over any other's would be dreadful. Nor should I hint to you that I had such scenes to encounter. Was it not to excuse and account to you for my absence from Castle Carberry? Our difficulties, you see, I already unite your interests with mine, began to decrease, and are at last happily overcome. Lady Martha made me write her intentions relative to you, and his lordship, was quite satisfied with them. He authorizes me to assure you he longs to receive you into his family. at once a boast and acquisition to it, and he says he shall consider himself under obligations to you, if you hasten as much as possible, the period of becoming one of its members, thus giving him an opportunity of making early amends by attention to the daughter for the injustice he did the father lady martha dormer's intentions i have only hinted to you in the letter which i have the pleasure of enclosing she is more explicit concerning them i have given you this long narrative on paper that when we meet our conversation may be unembittered by any painful retrospect and that we may enjoy uninterrupted the bright prospect "'which now lies before us. "'But ere I close my letter, "'I must inform you that, "'knowing you could never be selfishly wrapped up "'in your own enjoyments, "'I made every possible inquiry relative to your brother, "'and was at length referred by the agent of his late regiment "'to an officer in it. "'With some difficulty, I found "'he had quitted his quarters on leave of absence.' I wrote immediately to his family residence, and after waiting long and impatiently for an answer to my letter, I dispatched a special messenger to learn whether he was there or not. The courier returned with a polite note from the officer's father, informing me his son was gone on an excursion of pleasure with some friends, and that if he knew where to find him, HE WOULD HAVE TRANSMITTED MY LETTER, WHICH I MIGHT DEPEND ON BEING ANSWERED THE MOMENT HE RETURNED. I HAVE NO DOUBT, BUT WE SHALL RECEIVE INTELLIGENCE FROM HIM CONCERNING MR. FITZALIN. IT SHALL THEN BE OUR BUSINESS, IF HIS SITUATION IS NOT ALREADY PLEASING, TO CHANGE IT OR RENDER IT AS MUCH SO AS POSSIBLE TO HIM. KEEP UP YOUR SPIRITS, THEREFORE, ABOUT HIM. For by the time we arrive in England, I expect a letter from his friend. And let me not be any more pained by seeing your countenance clouded with care or anxiety. As a reward for reigning in my impatience to see you this evening, be propitious to my request for early admission tomorrow. If charitable, you would allow me to breakfast with you for I shall take none except with you, and without an express command to the contrary shall take it for granted I am expected. Tis said that contrast heightens pleasure, and I believe the saying. I believe that, without having felt pain in all its acuteness, as I have done, I never should have felt such pleasure as I now enjoy. After so often giving you up, so often lamenting you as lost forever. To think I shall soon call you mine is a source of transport which words cannot express. Mine, I may say, is the resurrection of happiness, for has it not been revived from the very grave of despair? But I forgot that you have a Lady Martha Dormer's letter still to peruse. I acknowledge that for old friendship's sake, I suppose you would give mine the preference. But in all reason, it is time I should resign my place to her ladyship. But ere I bid you adieu, I must tell you that Araminta is a sincere participator in our happiness. She arrived from Wales but a few minutes previous to my leaving London, and I would not allow her time as she wished to write to you. I almost forgot to tell you that the Marquise's family, amongst whom Lady Greystock is still numbered, instead of returning to town, set out for Brighthelmstone. I have learned, contrary to my and their expectations, that neither the housekeeper nor Mrs. Jane have been dismissed, but both sent to a distant seat of the Marquises. As we know, the Marchioness's revengeful disposition. It is plain she has some secret motive for not gratifying it immediately by their dismission. But what it is can be of little consequence for us to learn, since we are both too well guarded to suffer from any future plot of hers. Like every other which was formed against my dear Amanda, I trust they will ever prove abortive, I was disturbed within a few miles of Castle Carbury by a gentleman passing on horseback who either strongly resembled or was Colonel Belgrave. My blood boiled in my veins at his sight. I left the carriage, mounted one of my servant's horses, and endeavored to overtake him. He certainly avoided me by taking some road as his speed could not have outstripped mine. My efforts to discover his habitation were equally unsuccessful. As to your personal security I had no apprehensions, having heard constantly from my good friend the doctor about you. But I dreaded the wretch, if it were really him, might disturb your tranquility, either by forcing into your presence or writing. Thank Heaven! From all intrusions or dangers of this kind, my Amanda, will now be guarded. But again, I am trespassing on the time you should devote to Lady Martha's letter. Adieu, and do not disappoint my hopes of being allowed to visit you early. Mortimer Amanda perused this letter with emotions which can be better conceived than described. She could scarcely have parted with it without a second reading, had not Lady Martha's demanded her attention. She snatched it hastily from the ground where it hitherto lay neglected, and read to the following purpose, that I warmly and sincerely congratulate my dear and amiable Miss Fitzallen on the happy revolution in her affairs. She will readily believe, persuaded, as she must be, of the deep interest I take in whatever concerns a person on whom the happiness of him, whom I have loved from childhood, so materially, so entirely, I may say, depends. Yet do not suppose me, my dear Miss Fitzallen, so selfish as not to be able to rejoice at your happiness on your own account, exclusive of every consideration relative to lord mortimer long since i was taught by description to esteem and admire you and even when the hope of being connected with you became extinct i could not so totally forgo that admiration as to feel uninterested about you oh i how truly do i rejoice at the revival of the hope i have just mentioned and at its revival with every prospect of its being speedily realized. I shall consider Lord Mortimer as one of the most fortunate of men in calling you his, and to think I have been able to promote his happiness gives me a satisfaction which never was, nor ever will be, equaled by any circumstance in my life. Though I cannot give my adopted daughter a fortune, by any means equal to that which Lady Euphrasia Sutherland will possess. Lord Cherbury is fully sensible that her perfections will abundantly make up for any deficiency in this respect. Ten thousand pounds and one thousand a year is at present to be her portion, and the reversion of the remainder of my fortune is to be secured to her and Lord Mortimer. The final adjustment of all affairs is to take place at my house in the country, whither I propose going immediately, accompanied by Lady Araminta, and where we shall both most impatiently expect your arrival, which we mutually entreat may be hastened as much as possible, consistent with your health and convenience. Lord Cherbury has promised to follow us in a few days so that I suppose he will also be at Thornbury to receive you. Would to heaven, my dear Miss Fitzallon, injured virtue and innocence may always meet with such champions to vindicate them as Lord Mortimer. Was that the case, we should see many lovely victims of scorn and reproach raising their heads with triumph and satisfaction." but pardon my involuntarily adverting to past scenes, though at the same time I think you have reason to rejoice at your trials, which served as so many tests and proofs of the estimable qualities you possess. Farewell, my dear Miss Fitzallen. I have been brief in my letter, because I know I should not be pardoned by a certain person if I engross too much of your time. I told him I would give you a hint of the impetuosity of his disposition, but he told me, perhaps to prevent this, that you were already acquainted with it. In one instance, I shall commend him for displaying it, that is, in hastening you to Thornbury, to the arms of your sincere and affectionate friend, Martha Dormer. Amanda's happiness was now almost as great as it could be in this world, almost I say, for it received alloy from the melancholy consideration that her father, that faithful and affectionate friend who had shared her troubles, could not be a partaker of her joys. But the sigh of unavailing regret which rose in her mind she checked, by reflecting that happiness, all perfect, was more than humanity could either support or expect, and with pious gratitude she bent to the power who had changed the discoloured prospect by which she had been so long surrounded, into one of cheerfulness and beauty. If her pride was wounded by the hint, though so delicately conveyed, which Lord Mortimer had given of the difficulties he encountered in gaining Lord Cherbury's approbation, It was instantly relieved by the flattering commendations of Lady Martha Dormer. And to be connected with her and Lady Araminta, she looked upon amongst the most valuable blessings she could enjoy. To express what she felt for Lord Mortimer would be impossible. Language could not do justice to her feelings. She felt love, gratitude, and admiration for him all in the fullest extent and all united, and she wept in the fullness of her heart over the joyful assurance of being his. With the two letters in her hand, she repaired to the prioress's apartment, whom she found alone. The good old lady saw the traces of tears on Amanda's face and exclaimed in a voice which evinced her sympathy in her concerns, "'Oh, I fear, my child, something has happened to disturb you.' Amanda presented her the letters and bid her judge from them whether she had not reason to be agitated. As the prioress read, her sudden and broken exclamations manifested her surprise and pleasure. And frequently were her spectacles removed to wipe from off them the tears of joy by which they were bedewed. When she finished the welcome packet, she turned to Amanda, who had been attentively watching the various turns in her countenance, and gave her a congratulatory embrace. Lord Mortimer is worthy of you, my child, said the prioress, and that is the highest eulogium I can pass on him. After commenting upon different parts of the letter, she asked Amanda a little archly whether she intended sending an express command to his lordship against coming early in the morning. Amanda honestly confessed she had no such intention and expressed her wish to behold him. The prioress said she would have breakfast prepared for them in the garden parlor and that she would take care They should not be interrupted. She also promised to keep everything secret till matters were arranged for Amanda's removal from Saint Catherine's. End of Chapter Thirty-Eight, Part Two. Recording by Paul Harvey.